Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again with another episode of the Knollcast. Uh, as always, we will thank our good friends at Louisiana Hot Sauce. Three simple ingredients, one fantastic product. Title sponsor of the Knollcast for now, I believe it's sixth consecutive year. Uh, big thank you to them. And uh, Bud, we weren't necessarily planning on recording on uh, on a Sunday for a Monday AM pub. But uh, hey, look, you know, I think we can make a general Knollcast rule moving forward. Uh, consecutive days of... Significant movements on the recruiting trail uh, bring us back to the podcast, Mike, tonight, and a lot of roster talk, so we will jump straight into it. As a content guy, I absolutely love the transfer portal. Uh, we, we are we are so action-packed tonight with transfer, with transfer portal news and with mailbag questions that uh, we are not even going to have time to get to the 2022 receiver commitment that FSU picked up, so that'll be in the next episode. Uh, with that... Let's go ahead and get into this. FSU picks up three guys this weekend in the transfer portal, man. Pretty uh, pretty exciting news here, and I, I think we'll, we'll, we're kind of sensing a, a general theme. Which one do you want to kick off with? Uh, let's start with let's start with the Keir Thomas one. I mean, I, I think that's a, an interesting conversation. Another SEC lineman, you know, all of these, I think there's a, a similar theme to addressing uh, need, raising the collective floor go ahead and kind of taking something uh, that's out there that you feel confident in. And uh, yeah, it's an in- interesting addition. Three SEC players that we will discuss here tonight, uh, two Floridians and a Georgian. And uh, yeah, good conversation. But Thomas, I think is where we should start our focus at. So Keir Thomas, uh, those of y'all who follow recruiting uh, will remember, he's a player who a lot of us in the state of Florida liked uh, as a recruit out of Miami Central. I believe he was at Northwestern uh, for a year. But he was he was at Central, and he was a very productive player in high school. And Florida State had interest in him, but they never really went in on him. And, and the reason uh, was that his upside was was limited. Right? He's not the longest player. He's only six foot two, which is the D end is is short. Uh, he's not a super athletic player. Um, now he that just means he's not going to be a guy who's going to go play in the NFL. I I don't think. Um, and it was fairly obvious in high school. Some of these guys that we see in high school are just more maxed out uh, than others, which means their their upside you know, is going to be more limited. So he goes to a school like South Carolina uh, and, and a defensive coordinator uh, head, you know, type head coach in Will Muschamp. And I, I thought that was a pretty perfect fit for him. Somebody who can, can kind of be in that Melvin Ingram role a little bit uh, that South Carolina had had prior when, when Spurrier was the head coach. Uh, a dude who is a you know strong player can be productive can can win pass rush wise with with leverage uh, occasionally with get off although I, I don't think it's always that but m- m- most you know mostly leverage relentlessness uh, and can also be a, a good guy to play against the run and who offers some positional versatility that's kind of what we thought about him in high school and it really turned out like he's a dude who's not going to go play pro football i i don't believe I got a really hard time thinking that if he stays healthy, he's not going to play at least 500 snaps for this defense. You already got your more pass rushing type defensive end in Jermaine Johnson. Now you look, you'd love if all your guys that play DN can be pass rushing types. And that's not to say Thomas can't be a pass rusher. He had three sacks this past year and had, had a decent pressure rate in some games. But I think he's more of your uh, set the edge Toughness guy can can win some one on one blocks in, in in the ACC can slide inside on on passing downs, and I think the versatility and the veteran 
I don't say veteran leadership because I don't know what kind of leader this guy is, but the veteran experience he brings is, uh, I think this is a solid take for a defense that, that needed some desperate help at, at defensive end and, and couldn't wait. You talked about the very legitimate concern that Florida State, if need not addressed, would head into next year, you know, maybe having the worst defensive end uh, group in the ACC and maybe easily having the worst uh, defensive end group in the ACC. Uh, two really solid gets. Uh, love the kid out of Georgia, what that brings to you. That's going to be really the first fox that this program has seen as far as that position and somebody that can actually play the position. Yeah, two, two really good gets here and uh, applaud. Uh, Norvell and staff. It will be interesting to see. This is kind of more of a broader conversation, but uh, I talked about it on the previous podcast. It'll be very interesting to see how the whole portal works out with Florida State. Uh, you know, that will be something that appears, if managed well, that it's a little bit of a comparative uh, advantage that Florida State has over some other schools with so many kids looking to kind of return home if uh, things aren't as they thought or if coaches leave or whatever the circumstances may be. Uh, but in Jackson and Thomas, two really good gets addressed a need. Like you said, kids, you can look both of them in the eye and uh, tell them legitimately that all things uh, work out and, and they, you know, take the position seriously. They're all but guaranteed to take 55 to 70 snaps a game uh, next year. So a uh, big, big impact expected from both of them and a very big need addressed. So I, I, in my mind, I always like to play the what, why are these guys available game? I, I think it can be instructive. Why is Kier Thomas available? Well, because this is his sixth year of college football. He was high school class of 2016. Um, so this will be his, his sixth year. He's from Miami, gets, gets to get a little bit closer to home. South Carolina is undergoing a coaching change. They're, they're going from a, a defensive head coach to a, uh, ostensibly a special teams head coach, if that's even a thing. And, and, probably more of an offensive head coach, I, I would think. Um, just to, and I don't know how many guys Keir Thomas still knows on that staff. And, and this is a staff that, uh, that may know him a little more than, than South Carolina's current staff does and get, gets to get a little bit closer to home and gets a guaranteed you know, starting role. I, would he be a starter for South Carolina next year? I, I think so. Is it as guaranteed? I don't know. Maybe. So, so, the Gamecocks did have a couple decent guys in that last recruiting class who, who will now be sophomores and we'll, we'll see how they develop. But uh, that, that's, uh, that's the first one of the night. Second one is an interesting take. Um, I want to get your take on, on whether you agree uh, with, with the take. DJ Williams out of Auburn. Interesting player here. A guy that we talked about, I think, two years ago as a recruit. Kind of a late bloomer out of uh, like Daytona, Sebastian area over on the East Coast. And Signs with Auburn. Some people I know for a fact think that Willie Taggart staff should assign him. They don't. He ends up being the leading rusher for Auburn in 2019 which, when Coach Kenny Dillingham was on staff. Then he gets Wally pipped. He got banged up a little bit, and then he just he's not going to get his job back from Tank Bigsby because Tank Bigsby is a legit type of player who could start in the NFL. Special running back, definitely. Yeah, if you really want to you know, fully embrace that uh, off-season national championship energy. You can just go back and watch the DJ Williams tape against uh, LSU from a couple of years ago. I don't know that uh, he necessarily repeated a whole lot of performances like that, but there's some runs and there are some runs that are finished in that game that make you go, oh boy, this is a lot of fun. Yeah, um, physically, 
kind of shaped unlike any other running back that I can think of that Florida State's had uh, for quite a while. I mean, he is uh, he's he's big and and thick, uh, and when he gets running downhill, it's pretty pretty impressive. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is a I don't know, but I mean, you and I had a little bit of a, diger- a divergent of opinion at running back. I thought it would be a you know a great one or no one. I think Williams is a very good running back. You know, we're going to get to the end of this conversation where we talk about numbers and what's available. Uh, there is certainly a trade-off here, uh, but I, you know, I think the idea is to kind of try to try to get all these backs maybe eight to fourteen touches a, a game. Now, obviously, there's going to be some rotation there, and it's not going to be identical across the board. But Williams is a, uh, you know, an interesting prospect with a decent amount of time still left uh, in college, and that's a, you know, that's a notable addition to the to the roster. Absolutely. So let me ask you this. Do you think that the coaching staff also was the great one or no one approach at running back? And if so, do you think that they are justifying to themselves the the, the take of Williams by the idea that he is a great one? Uh, I think he's a very good one. Uh, I don't. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think that that was their idea. I think when it became pretty clear that he was going to get into the portal and the existing relationship that ha- uh, existed there with Dillingham, uh, I think they just decided that this made sense. Now, you know, it's ultimately <laughs> uh, the numbers are going to be a concern. I don't think uh, the kid from New Jersey, the defensive tackle Malone, is ultimately going to sign with Florida State. I think Florida State's not quite in a place to beat a, a Texas A&M on the trail right now for a kid that they really, really want. So maybe it's a situation where you keep the scholarship for Pison Hill or Hill. Um, and then you try to devote your remaining numbers to offensive line, you're certainly going to have to address that. But I, I think they saw a prospect that they wanted to get different skill set uh, than what they otherwise have, almost like a you know, bigger, meatier version of web. And uh, ultimately, they you know, went and pulled the trigger. So I, I wonder if, if they just don't think that Williams has some, some type of, of real upside here. Because uh, it, it, I mean, you're, you're getting a guy, obviously, like he, he could have between what one and three years left on your roster given given the COVID year. That's a lot of that's a lot of time left to, to take a guy running back. I, I think they like him a whole lot. We'll see if if they're justified in that. You're right. His 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 upside is is fairly high. So I I, I understand the take, even though I don't know that running back was a spot you absolutely had to go out and get somebody at. And it is interesting that they wanted to, that they went out and did so to me, interesting at least, that they did so now as opposed to waiting in, until the spring, seeing what else was in the portal and, and seeing where they were at, at some other positions. I, I actually think they were fairly competent at running back right now with, with you know, Toa Philly and, and, and with Corbin and those guys. I mean, if you were to lose those dudes, you could argue that your season's in trouble. But yeah, if you lose those dudes that kind of year, your season's probably in trouble regardless. So this will be an interesting you know, discussion about use of resources and and which spots you wanted to allocate those scholarships, uh, which kind of dovetails into the next guy, Jamie Robinson, uh, safety, pretty versatile DB again out of South Carolina. I'll let you leave this one off. What what, what do you think about this? I know we we discussed him on on the last show. I mean, I I see both sides here. Uh, I I see the side that says, look, you've got some decent talent on the roster uh, in the secondary and safety in particular. Uh, where Florida State has done well on the recruiting trail over the past two years, has been concentrated there. I mean, when you're talking about names like Green, Gant, Travis Jay, 
what you said last time is that you maybe here you need to work with what you have. And I get it. Um, I do think that this defense places a premium on safety play and that it's a, an area that they wanted to upgrade. And it's a, you know, portal's interesting because you both, you both have an idea as to what the player can do in college. Obviously, if you have college tape, uh, you're able to talk to colleagues and get a better idea as to, you know, what the guy was. Uh, you don't necessarily have to project as to how he embraces uh, the college game and, and some of the responsibilities that come with it. Uh, you can have a little bit uh, better feeling as to whether or not he's going to take uh, ball seriously and everything else. And I think with Robinson, uh, they are extremely confident that this is a guy that lifts the ceiling uh, across the board, both in how he uh, approaches offseason condition, everything. Uh, they think they they got a uh, a very good player and a very significant uh, add-on in somebody that, you know, is going to go through this climb uh, that they frequently reference. Good, good use of climb, man. It's a, it's a, it's a gamble. I mean, you and I, again, we had a slight divergence of, uh, of opinion here. I, I realize what it means for numbers elsewhere. I would, I was kind of for taking him. Yeah. We'll have to see whether or not it's worth it. But it, you know, again, you're using a lot of numbers and you're using a lot of numbers uh, with guys who don't have, you know, name comma OT uh, next to them in the description. So um, eventually you're going to have to address that. But I think Robinson is a uh, an add-on that they feel exceptionally confident in. Yeah. So ultimately, Ingram, the, the staff agrees with with you. We tend to agree with the staff an awful lot, I, I would say, as, as a pair. You know, when we disagree, we don't try to hide it because A, it makes for a good show and B, I think it's it's not good to fake it either way, right? Like you don't want to have fake disagreement and you don't want to have, you know, just fake quelling of real disagreement. I, I went and looked up some of Robinson's stats uh, and I, I kind of have a mixed opinion. South Carolina's defense this year was rated 70th in SP+. Florida State was 85th. There's not much difference there, to be honest. So you're plucking two, two starters off the South Carolina defense that wasn't any good. What do we think about that? I mean, that is, but those are team stats. That's not necessarily something to me that, that you know, you shouldn't judge, judge individual players on. So I went and pulled up some other stuff here. If you look at Bill Connolly's stuff, um, first of all, Robinson, he's on the field a lot. He allowed 64% completions against, which is terrible, actually. But at the same time, he had adjusted you know, yards per attempt allowed of 6.7, which is, is not terrible. He had a quarterback rating against of 75.8, so basically 76, which is, is fine. It's not amazing, uh, but it's, it's not bad. Now, there's a kid on, on South Carolina who is going to be a pro. I, I don't know if Robinson's going to go pro or not. We'll see. Eventually, I mean. J.C. Horn, the DB, you know, the, the son of, of Joe Horn, the Saints receiver, he had a quarterback rating against of 14.9. Jamie Robinson had a quarterback rating against of 76. It's pretty clear what opponents thought of this secondary. They were throwing at Jamie Robinson a lot, and they were completing it an awful lot. In fact, more than any other DB on that team, as far as completion percentage allowed, who had at least 200 snaps. So that's not great. Um, now, there was another guy on this, on this defense who also transferred out because Horn went pro, Robinson went to the Knolls, and then John Dixon who was another DB from Tampa, he ended up transferring out to, uh, to, to Penn State. This is interesting to me because are we to believe that the 70th rated defense in the country, basically all of its defensive back starters were 
very high level players or decent enough to, to be transferred out and wanted by by power five programs like Penn State and Florida State, not to not to group those two together. I understand Penn State's on a little bit different level over the last couple of years, except this year, not so much. Maybe so. Maybe the pass rush for the Gamecocks was was just that bad this year. And I think there is there's some evidence to support that, right? South Carolina's pass, you know, pass defense this year was was not incredible. Uh, and its its sack rate was was certainly not good. Um, especially, I mean. 103rd in the nation. That's that's not great. So maybe these guys in the secondary are better than, than, than we thought. Now, Robinson, aggressive against the run. I do think you can play him at, at the deep safety or in that kind of nickel safety role. I I just, I don't know, man. I, I kind of wonder, you got a lot of guys on your team. I, I think you need to do a good job of coaching them. I mean, you have Gant and Renato Green and you have McKnight and you have Travis J and what what what's going on with Sidney Williams and you know you got you got a dude like a Jarvis Brownlee who I I believe can play both positions you just you just brought in Jarquez McClellan the the guy from Arkansas you have Miko Dotson coming back you still have Akeem Dent you have Jerry and Jones assuming he's going to stay on, on defense you have Damari Tate who was an, an academic redshirt this year so he was allowed to practice but not play Hunter Washington's a guy that a lot of people think could play early. To me, this does seem a little bit like a luxury. And if it's not a luxury, I think that's a bad sign about the guys you have on your team. You see what I'm saying there? Like, you, if you feel like you need this dude, what the hell is going on with, the, with all these other guys? Yeah, that, that is a great point. That if this is something that you felt you had to address and that you're not just taking Robinson because he's a known entity and you feel like he's a solid add-on across the board, then there's real problems somewhere uh, within that roster group. And, uh, you know, we've uh, said this time and time again, Florida State has recruited well at the back end of its defense. High time that recruiting rankings transition to on-field play. Uh, you know, that's uh, it's going to be one of the larger storylines, both in how this fan base uh, feels <laughs> about a certain defense coordinator moving forward and uh, the productivity out of those in the back uh, has to get higher. And uh, hopefully you're not taking this because – you feel as though you're addressing uh, a hole. Hopefully you're taking this because you feel as though, you know, this is kind of a, uh, a luxury add-on of a relatively uh, local prospect. Uh, when you talk about uh, where he went to high school and somebody that you think can really push your defense forward for a year. I think that makes a lot of sense. So got a question here for you. Well, this is actually, we, we, we kind of combine one of these listener questions. And the general gist is like, why are they using so many spots now? Like, why why are they not waiting to see who jumps in the portal following spring? Because we we think there's going to be a ton of guys in the portal following the spring. Like, what what do you think about that? Well, I think I think part of what you just talked about is a big factor, and and that is spring ball. All of these kids, with the exception of uh, of the parchment uh, wide receiver, are, to my knowledge immediately available. You're going to be able to get them in. You're going to be able to go through spring, fingers crossed, uh, fingers crossed again, <clears throat> and, uh, and you know, install, have a much more kind of organic buildup of the process that, uh, uh, well, hopefully, uh, than you did last year. And I think, you know, the want is to get these pieces, to plug them into the system. I feel as though you are going to kind of play a, uh, Eh, not necessarily a game of chicken, but a, a waiting game at offensive line. I mean, you've, you've just got to see what comes through and mm, see where the relationships are and, and see how appealing looking somebody and, and telling them that you're going to start in all likelihood at Florida State is. 
Um, so, you know, maybe, maybe with the idea that you're already doing that at one position group, they want to go ahead and kind of seal up uh, the defensive side of the ball and some of these other roster spots. There certainly is a trade-off. I mean, you, you know, there may be other guys, there may be bigger names that come down the, the pipe later. Um, roster spots are finite. You are, there is a trade-off here and uh, you know, we'll have to acknowledge that later on. Uh, but it does seem as though they're pretty, being pretty aggressive to go ahead and try to address it now, get it in now, have it for spring and, and get moving in, you know, what is uh, hopefully a year one as far as what the fan base uh, views and, and kind of a year one as far as being able to install uh, everything that you normally and traditionally can do. I, I think you're right about that. And a point we've made over and over again is we think Florida State can be uh, very successful in the portal be- because of where it's at as a roster and because of the talent uh, and the type of player that can really help a team like this. Whereas you know, if you're Georgia, like would Georgia take any of these kids? No. Right. But if you're Florida state, just getting somebody who is competent, experienced, knows how to practice like a professional uh, and can come in and, and help your, your culture and your football team, that that's a positive. And so the, your number of options you have in the portal is a lot more uh, than it is for a, a more talented roster, a more experienced roster than what the Knowles have. And it seems to me like they're they're cashing in their chips every time they see a, a, a competent guy who they have some kind of connection with or who has a connection to the state. And they're not waiting to bet on upside because for them, if you bust in the portal, you bust on the field, right? Like, like they're, they don't have the luxury of waiting for for that upside, just based on on their strategy so far, at least that, that's how I read into this. They they need to upgrade with competency, and I think they've done that at a number of spots. And your point about the spring, I think, is really well made too. Uh, we will take this time to thank our good friends at Congruity. Uh, Congruity is experiencing your business optimized, uh, highly customized HR solutions, highly customized HR solutions designed to enhance your brand, save time, save money, and reduce business risk. Congruity has been nothing uh, but great things uh, for Bud and I to be able to uh, kind of visualize what we're trying to do and do it more effectively from a business standpoint. We mentioned in the previous podcast, uh, we had nothing to do with this. We were, we were thrilled that uh, the good people at Madison Social sat down with our friend at Matt Lewis, and Madison Social has actually switched over to Congruity. So a great addition to our business can be a great addition to your business. Uh, contact Matt at Knowles at CongruityHR.com. That's N-O-L-E-S at CongruityHR.com or via phone 844-247-4100. So let's get back into our listener questions. You can get us on, on Patreon.com slash Nolcast. Really appreciate uh, the people who support the show there. Also on Twitter at Nolcast email. Nolcast at gmail.com. If you see us in person, you can also ask us questions there, which occasionally happens as well. Ingram, let's get, let's get, you want to, you want to take Brett's first? You want to take Thomas's first? Or who do you want to go to first here? Yeah, I thought Brett's question was, was interesting. Brett wrote us uh, a, a message uh, via the Patreon site that you referenced. In your opinion, how has Arizona become such a hotbed for quarterback prospects? First of all, we need to investigate is, is the premise of the question true? Is Arizona actually a hotbed for quarterback prospects? Or is it more of one now than it used to be? This is not something that I've dug into as far as trends quite as much as, as I probably need to, to answer this question fully. Uh, but 
obviously with, uh, with, with the kid Florida state is recruiting from Arizona next cycle. And well, I guess technically this cycle or 22. So it, it'll be you know, quote unquote, this cycle pretty soon. Uh, you know, Nico Martial there from, from Hamilton. I, I think this is, this is a question worth looking at. A couple of things that I've noticed in some research that I've done on a neighboring state in California is that you are seeing a lot of families move from California to Nevada, to Arizona, some to Utah, and some to Texas. So it would make sense that the state of Arizona is gradually becoming a little bit more talented. I tend to believe that, ultimately. I know that the state of Arizona has a, a solid private quarterback coaching scene. The weather is such in Arizona that you can basically play football year-round and practice quarterback year-round. It's not super cold. That's also one of the reasons why it's a, a decent high school baseball state. So I would say the proliferation of private quarterback coaching, seven-on-seven being very popular there in the state, the talent flight from California, and probably just more kids getting noticed out there would, would, would be the four reasons without doing like a, a real statistical analysis of it. But that's, that's what I would say. Yeah, uh, more or less what you said. I mean, the private quarterback scene is uh, significant. You've got, on the whole, it seems as though <laughs> you're able to get kids out there who've got a little bit more resources to pay for stuff like that uh, from the beginning. And the seven-on-seven seven scene is 365 days a year. Uh, and it's somewhere where kind of football has continued to spread throughout the country. And high school football in Arizona has grown uh, in importance over the last 10 or 15 years. So just from talking to people who have been out in that area and recruited that world uh, or that part of the world. Yeah, and it'd be interesting to see if it continues on. But it does seem as though uh, there does be there does seem to be a general uptick in it. And certainly from an anecdotal perspective, uh, this fan base is going uh, to see a lot of that just because of some of the coaching staff's relations and where they come from and some of the talent that they draw upon. If we ask one thing here really quickly, though, if you have a family that has good quarterback prospects and you have you have multiple brothers, if, if that family hits, that's going to skew the numbers in a state as as, as small as, as as Arizona. The you first know? state that doesn't produce a ton of talent, absolutely. Yeah, and and when like one of those brothers signs with your school, it's going to even skew, skew it more, and and you know your general perception of it. Uh, something to look at. We'll you know we'll continue to to kind of keep this in the back of our mind. It's a good question, Brett. Uh, I personally think there's something to it. Uh, it'd be be interesting to look into the numbers, see if that bears out, and and what you talked about as far as you know, population trends and, and how people get dispersed throughout the country. I mean, it's, it takes a little while, but it's fascinating. If I were, uh, you know, I, I, this is kind of going off the beaten path, but I, I believe that there's a direct line of cor- correlation uh, between BMW deciding to build up uh, an automobile plant in the upstate of South Carolina and what ultimately ended up happening over the next 20 or 30 years to the rise of Clemson's program, uh, both from a ability to support it financially and having a, a larger population base in that part of the state that had never otherwise existed. Yeah. All this stuff matters. And ultimately this stuff ends up, uh, you know, ends up with uh, kids in high school that uh, pop up on the recruiting trail. For sure. All right. Uh, next question here comes from Thomas. Thomas says, uh, should Florida state be worried that Miami seemingly wasn't hard after these two? I think he means here, Thomas and Jamie Robinson. Uh, after hiring Travaris Robinson from South Carolina. So 
Travaris Robinson, big-time defensive coach from South Carolina, was a free agent because Will Muschamp and that staff got fired. T-Rob also worked for Muschamp at Florida for a while, did a really good job, I thought, as far on the recruiting trail. And Miami ended up hiring him uh, to be their DB coach over the weekend. So this is interesting, right? Like Miami has needs at both DB and at DN, given who they're losing to the draft. Do you read into this? I mean, I, I do. <laughs> I, I do both in a reflection of the talent and then I do in a broader sense as to, uh, yes, I mean, it caught my eye that T-Rob went to Miami and McGriff went to Florida on the same day. I mean, they are, are within 24 hours of each other. Those are two guys that are, you know, significant additions in the recruiting trail and on the recruiting trail. And I think T-Rob being in Miami, quite frankly, is a problem for Florida State. But do I read into it as a, as a problematic with these particular kids? Yeah, maybe. You know, I, I do think it's legitimate that you have a, a guy on staff there. I don't know that there was necessarily a relationship with Miami that was larger than that or necessarily that they had the numbers. But you certainly think that if Miami you know, wanted to uh, entertain the the Thomas kid. They, they had the ability to and uh, the ability to, you know, get in front of them. So I, I don't dismiss the point uh, from a, a micro perspective. And I acknowledge that it is uh, kind of troubling from a, a larger macro perspective as well. Yeah, I, I definitely understand the question. Um, I mean, who would know these guys better than T-Rob? And Kier Thomas is is from Miami. So if, if you know, if you wanted to return... Um, that would be a prime opportunity to do so if if he would get starters reps at Miami. I mean, part of the the reason why you choose Florida State right now, I think, is because without even seeing spring, I mean, there's no doubt that you are going to you're going to start. I don't know. It's an interesting question. I I don't want to read too much into it. I wonder if the timing of that move had been different too. For instance, if if T. Rob had been hired a couple of days earlier, does that change anything? Who knows? Right. Yeah, yeah, I do think, and I kind of stumbled over that, but I do think there's the the timing perspective as well. I think maybe if he had been there a little bit longer, uh, that you might have seen a different move, but uh, hard to say for sure. Okay, next question comes from Dave. Dave says, I feel like I'm the Debbie Downer amongst my Seminole compatriots here. Uh, we've seen a recent comparable to Milton coming off an injury in Francois, and Frenchie never had his or Frenchie had his mobility compromised and was a shell of him former self post-injury. Milton at his best was the same style of dual-threat quarterback, but with a far more devastating leg injury. Aren't we engaging in a bit of wishful thinking, thinking that this is going to be, uh, thinking that this isn't going to be a disaster on the field, especially given the ceiling of our O-line is probably average uh, from an ACC perspective, and the floor of the group is, uh, I think what he's trying to say, a group of five bad. There's a little bit left of the question. He says, all signs point to him being a high character guy who should help the program in a way that Francois heard it. But shouldn't we expect uh, a little bit less from him on the field? I would love to be wrong about the on the field part and interested in your assessment. Uh, and then there's a final message from him that we will save as we exit this question. Let's just let's just take, take a let's, let's kind of parse Dave's question here. I do not think that DeAndre Francois is comparable to McKenzie Milton. In any area, except for the fact they're both short, all right? And they used to be athletic. So that that part is fair, right? Mackenzie Milton was a good runner. Uh, I mean, he put up 372 yards on, on 70 carries in 2018. That was his last, you know, his last season. But he was also a, a, a better thrower of the football, I think, 
than DeAndre Francois was. Francois was, was just really not very accurate. And maybe, look, maybe Dave's right. I, I, I can't tell you exactly what's going to happen with, with Mackenzie Milton as much as I, I'd, I'd like to pretend I know exactly how it's going to go. I don't. But I, I think Mackenzie Milton is, is more, more accurate overall, has a better track record of being accurate, I think is a much better leader, teammate, and person based on everything we've heard about him and everything that we heard and know about Francois, period. I think that's a, a big difference. And I don't think the staff would take him if they thought it was such a big risk because it's very hard to sign multiple transfer quarterbacks in one year. So basically, you're, you're putting your chips on the table for like, this is your guy. And they did it early. And they're, they're in on it, and they're using him to help recruit. So I, I, I don't think it's going to be a disaster like Dave thinks it could be. And I, I, I understand the Frenchie comparison, but I just don't think it holds. Here's the other part of this. Yeah, the O-line's scary. You haven't done a damn thing in the transfer portal so far yet as far as actually securing somebody. From what I understand, I don't think there's anybody in the portal right now who FSU really likes at offensive line. My guess is FSU probably has a line on somebody who they think is going to enter the portal after spring just based on who they have and have not gone after. I don't know if I'd be willing to bet on that, but I, I think there's a decent chance I'm right on that. I know you've heard some stuff about, about staff probably thinks Robert Scott's a guard going for, you know, a, a guard long-term. If you're a guard long-term, you're a guard short-term. What do you think about this? Because the, the O-line question is, is certainly a major limiting factor, depending on what happens there. Well, I think when you take Milton, you fully commit uh, to addressing the offensive line need and know that, you know, the smoke and mirrors won't be quite as effective as, um, you know, what you did with Jordan Travis this year. Not just smoke or mirrors, but the the leverage that Travis puts on a defense uh, at the same time, you know, is, is very beneficial to kind of masking some of the deficiencies at the offensive line. You took Milton. It's a big deal. It's a good get. I expect them to address the offensive line need. Obviously, that's easier said than done. Like, you can't take Milton and stay put and expect anything other than a disaster. So uh, we'll have to see what the add-ons to the offensive tackle position look like. And when we see them, uh, rest assured, we will get to podcast as soon as possible because it will ultimately, uh, you know, be one of the more impactful storylines as to what this roster looks like in 2021. Yeah, uh, sack rate allowed this year by Florida State, 112th in the country. Pressure rate allowed 102nd. That's with an incredibly mobile quarterback in Jordan Travis. If you stick Mackenzie Milton back there behind this offensive line and you don't upgrade the tackle position specifically, he's not going to do a damn thing. I don't think. Well, okay, scratch that. He's not going to be the guy you want him to be. I don't want to be. I don't want to be hyperbolic here. If you don't improve this offensive line, he cannot be the guy that you signed him to be. The guy that you're using him to help you recruit to be. The last part of Dave's question I, I thought was was very interesting. He said, I love the show and I'm working with Shannon on my second home loan. Dude, second home loan. So we have an interesting accounting question here. So we normally talk about how many, how many folks have used the legendary team for their home loans. But if Dave is using them for a second time, we, we get to count him twice, right? I think that's certainly fair. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's, I mean, all results are verified by Ernst & Young and other, other accounting firms, blah, 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 blah. Uh, so Dave, congrats. That, that is awesome. Shannon is the best guy to work with in the mortgage business, in my opinion. Great rates, awesome customer service, knowledge of the industry, experience, and what, 120-something now, satisfied, no cash loan customers. I love getting those emails from him. Hey, guys, can can you send t-shirts to these new happy homeowners? Yes, we can. Absolutely. And when we have them, Louisiana hot sauce koozies and maybe a gift card and and, the other stuff, depending on, on availability. 
I love doing it. There's a reason why, why our listeners have been so happy and they, they, they email us to thank us quite often. So Dave, appreciate it. That's 844-FSU-LOAN. Hit Shannon up, 844-FSU-LOAN. I think you'll be very happy you did. Caleb writes in. Caleb says, Bud, what the hell, bro? Your comment in the last show hurt me. To paraphrase, you said, as you research further, you are now even more certain that firing a coach after two years in the early signing period is a mistake. I understand that speaking generally, this is an undeniable truth, but do you really feel it's a mistake for Florida State to move on given the performance of Taggart and staff? <laughs> the staff couldn't even coordinate hotels for away games. I guess I'm, can you be undecided and, and like waiting on results? That's probably not fair. Well, I think that you can acknowledge that um, a lot of times we and, and you in particular speak more on terms of, of, of the broader landscape and, and how that's going to play out over time. I mean, it may be slightly different uh, for Florida State's perspective. I expect nothing but hard times for schools that make a change after two years, and, and particularly in this era of college football. Does it mean that it was perhaps justified in Florida State's situation? Maybe, depending on who you talked. Uh, but on the whole, changing coaches after two years in the early signing day period is all but a suicide mission for a college football program. And we, we said this a couple of times. A, we understand why they did it, right? We get why they did it. We very well would have made the same decision. They don't have a crystal ball. They didn't know that, that COVID-19 was coming. If they had known COVID-19 was coming, there's no way in hell they'd do it, I don't think. I don't think there's anything Norvell and his staff have done to make you think that that, like, that that was unquestionably the right move, even with COVID, as opposed to just waiting another year and you know not, not dropping the, you know, the money on the buyout uh, for, for another year in which you really couldn't sell many, many tickets and you know, merch and whatnot, given that it was COVID. But no, I, I totally understand why Florida State did so. And yeah, like I think Taggart did a bad job overall. Is it impossible that he could have turned it around? Maybe so, maybe not. I don't think any of us can really know that. But in general, your roster is going to be screwed for a while if you do this. Florida State is not special in this regard. It's not. Getting a bunch of, of decent but not special transfers, which is what you're going to get out of the transfer portal unless you're like, a, like an Ohio State, that's not going to change much. This is just this is a long-term rebuild. When you commit to the firing of a coach after just two years in the early signing period era, you commit to a long-term rebuild. I, I don't think there's any way around this, really. I mean, and it's it's the schools that are doing well, it's the schools that are are not doing well. If you do this, you're you're basically in trouble. I'm looking at their in their 2020 class, Florida State signed 25 guys. How many of these dudes do you think are still going to be on the roster come, come 2022? 50%? This is that, that first Norvell class that he didn't have a whole lot of time to put together. You know, I mean, what, what do you think? I, I, my guess is, is, is about 50%. Yeah, 50, 55%, somewhere right around there. Absolutely. That's the, I mean, that means you're basically screwed for a while. Like, like you can't be doing that and then combo that with, you know, the, the, 17 class, which I guess could still have extra eligibility this year if they wanted. And with, with the 18 class, which, which was the transition class for Willie, which is another one, which is one of those ones could be under 50%. And then you, you go on a coaching change. So anytime you have a coaching change, you're going to have a lot of transfers out because they don't fit what the new guy wants. And, you know, they didn't sign to play with a guy like this. They'd sign to play with a guy like that. So you're going to have a lot of attrition for the 19 class, the 20 class. You didn't have very much time to put together. So you're going to have a boatload of attrition, you know, out of that. 
that's why you're going to be, you're going to not go anywhere fast for a while. FSU's not really special in that regard. That's just how it is. Yep. Um, that's it. It is what it is. We'll take a look back on it. I mean, the, you know, the situation is the situation and the circumstances uh, were what they were. A change was made. And uh, yeah, we'll have to see how much uh, the portal maybe plays a, uh, plays a, <clears throat> a role in people trying to address changes. But yeah, I don't think anything's going to change that first class. The first class is, you know, basically being, being blindfolded and kind of throwing darts out there and, and hoping you hit one or two things that stick uh, as oftentimes you're working with, you know, guys that you have relationships with that are maybe a week and a half uh, long, or it's just a, it's a crapshoot and the numbers uh, bear it out. And I think it's only going to bear it out more uh, as we have a larger kind of historical sample set to view uh, these, these classes by. So Marty writes, hey guys, been a faithful show listener since I found the podcast in 2017, right before the Bama game. I remember recording that podcast in person with Bud uh, at the hotel, actually, Marty. Anyways, due to the non-campus visitations and in-home coaching visits, do you think there will be even more players transferring after the first season? It has seemed like there are lots of players entering the transfer portal this offseason, but because of recruits not fully being able to visit campuses or fully seeing the coaches, I would assume many more feel like their destination school isn't what they thought it would be and ultimately decide to transfer. Could this work in Florida State's favor while building relationships now with recruits and maybe they'll transfer later on? I know you can bank on players transferring, but it has been a crazy offseason regardless. So, Marty, appreciate the message. I think Marty nails it here. And, and I really appreciate him listening you know, for such a long time. I also remember that that, that podcast and you know, kind of came down to like, do you, do you think you think this team can create explosive plays? and against saving and win those one-on-one battles and let your athletes work? And the answer was, you know, was no. And also Francois. I think Marty nails it here, like, like really across the board. Yes. And I think it's something we've said. Maybe we need to do a better job of saying this. Because Florida State is in Florida, I think a lot of these guys from the state of Florida who are going out of state, who either pick the school that they are better than, and they'll end up showing that they're better than that once they get to school for a year or two, and they might want to like transfer out and come back home, or they pick the school that they're homesick over that they've never actually visited. I definitely would want to be in the state of Florida where a lot of good athletes come from, as opposed, including all three or two of the three kids you signed uh, over the weekend. than I would be a school in like Nebraska or Minnesota where e- even if I'm, I'm doing better than the Knowles, which those programs are not right now, but you know, e- even hypothetically if they were not a lot of guys want to return home to those type of schools. And, any, any sort of broad attrition across the country right now that leads guys maybe wanting to return home is going to benefit the schools that are in locations by those guys' hometown who happen to have spots available, which I think Florida State clearly has spots available this year, and they might have some spots available next year for the transfer portal. Although, clearly, they're going to want to take a bigger high school class next year because you can't just keep doing this, I, I don't think, if you want to get to that upper level. You want to consistently patch holes forever, the portal's fine. Yeah, I mean, uh, two out of three are in-state prospects. I would almost qualify all, all three as, you know, quote unquote in-state. When you're talking about grabbing a kid out of basically Albany, Georgia, you know, that's a what a 55-minute ride to Tallahassee or something like that. So, uh, yeah, I do think that you know the region of Southwest Georgia is incredibly talented, uh, and when you pair that with with Florida and the general what seems to be the general theme of this early on is kids wanting to return home, kids wanting to return. Um, you know, closer to home for final year or two. 
uh, look, I think Florida State, it, it'll be interesting to see how you tailor this. Maybe it allows you to, um, maybe it allows you to moneyball your high school recruiting a little bit more. And the fact that I'm saying that like, maybe it allows you to identify two or three kids, four kids that you're willing to, you know, go all out on and, uh, and really make a focus slash priority at the high school level and then kind of try to fill gaps a little bit more uh, with the portal. But uh, I agree that I, I don't think you'll necessarily lean on it quite as much in time. Uh, but I do think this is going to be a fixture for Florida State recruiting moving forward. Are you proposing sort of a like all upside type type more general strategy where like you're only taking the high school guys you think have really high potential and then filling holes when some of those guys don't work out via the portal, I guess? I think yeah, I think you can be a little bit more selective and <clears throat> maybe engage in some uh, you know one or two places that you know it's going to be a hell of a fight for a kid. Try to make them a priority early on. Do what you need to get in front of them, and know that maybe you're able to lean on the portal harder than other schools are. Yeah, I like that idea with, with the exception of even like I, I talked to a lot of coaches out there, Florida State and otherwise, and even the guys who are going heavy in the portal still say. Look, I, I don't love it. We have to do it, but I, but I don't love it. I want to get these guys in as freshmen. I want to get them instilled in our culture. I want them to be promoting our culture and to be learning our system for three and four years and, and that, that type of thing. I don't want to dismiss that as, oh, coach, you know, like, oh, that, that type of thing. I, I think there's legit, I think there's, there's really like, 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 there's something to that. Could they overrate that somewhat? Could there, uh, amount of emphasis on that decrease a little bit once the portal becomes more of a commonplace and regularly accepted thing. That's possible. But I do think it's not going to go away entirely. They still want to get a lot more high schoolers than transfers in simply because of the culture and, and just indoctrinating them into in your system. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree with you, but I would say, and I'm not saying that you're naive to this, but uh, you know, there's only so many schools that can really cherry pick the best kids at the high school level, bring them in, indoctrinate them into their culture, everything else, uh, process them accordingly. I mean, there's only, you know, there's only a few that kind of can lean on that, uh, that luxury. And uh, I think particularly for programs like Florida State right now that are trying to fill in massive gaps, address a roster that has some holes in it, address a roster that has some talent that is not a philosophical match with what they want to do. Yeah, I, I think you know, they'll lean on it hard, obviously, here. And I think Florida State may be a school that, uh, you know, maybe takes two or three kids more in the portal uh, versus some of its peers just because of kind of how things are structured right now. So let me let me throw this out there. I know we're running a little bit long, but that's okay, I, I think. Over, under on players that FSU takes from the portal next year, over, under four and a half. Mm, okay. So I, I, I had the number at five and a half in my mind. So I'm, I'm going to take the over on that. Clearly, if I'm setting the number, I'm trying to set it at something where I think it's basically you know spot on. Otherwise, it's just kind of a fraud of an exercise. But I, I can see why you would go over. Any positions that you, uh, you, you really want to look at there? I mean, until, well, we'll have to see what the staff really thinks of what they have at offensive line uh, as they can address it. But I mean, until you can be confident there, I still think that's going to be a place that you look to add bodies. Uh, linebackers fascinated. I mean, you there's plays where you think you've got some great talent there. There's also plays where you're like, my Lord, we've got to continue to address the linebacker uh, spot. Now, some of that was done in this year's class, uh, but I would expect that to be a, a long-term 
uh, point of need. And, um, you know, wide receiver. I know they think really highly of the uh, Burrell kid out of Clemson, or excuse me, out of South Carolina, uh, but I could see that being an area of continued focus. The next question comes from Jacob. With six transfers in the fold, including, including DJ Williams, Noel still recruiting Hill and Malone and needing some tackle help. Is Kadravian Hargrove no longer an option for Florida State? I, I yeah, I really, I don't think how I don't think he can be anymore at this point. Um, I, they've they've not been pursuing him as hard lately, from what I understand. C- can you make the math work on on this at all? Even if they did have a change of mind and and uh, and decide to go go back in on him hard? Yeah, not at this point. Not not unless there's something else going on with the roster that we don't know about. Um, no, I, I, I and this seems to have been a ooh, I want to say maybe as long as maybe a month ago, maybe three weeks ago, kind of the general feel from Florida State, not necessarily that they turned the kid down or anything, but just that they're, those two weren't necessarily going to be uh, in the final story with each other. I'll, I'll put it that way. So uh, I don't know if it's him just deciding on bigger offers. I don't know if it's Florida State, um, you know, just deciding that it wouldn't be a good fit. I'm not sure, but it seems as though, uh, you know, maybe both parties have, have kind of pivoted their focus elsewhere and has been that way for maybe three weeks, four weeks now. Cade asks, uh, hey, it appears the staff has done a good job in the portal so far in addressing positions of need. The one glaring need is no offensive tackles. Have you guys heard any positive news on that position so we could at least feel two competent tackles by next season? Oh, man, why, why do we got to end the, the show on a, on a, on a, on a negative note? We, we've been pretty positive most of the day. Oh, we do have one more question from Derek, fortunately. But no, I mean, I, I look, I have heard that uh, what Bud said earlier in the podcast is true that they that they feel confident that there is at least a name out there that hasn't hit the portal yet. And I don't, you know, I don't know if that's a handshake deal and and you know an agreement between two parties. I don't know, but I, there has been some rumbling that there's, um, you know, there's an entity out there that they will add or that they're confident they will add, and that they're still looking for another one. Um, so we'll have to see if that comes to fruition. Obviously, they're going to address this. You know, you're not, like we said, you don't add McKenzie Milton and then not go out and add uh, people to help, you know, provide him some some safety to operate uh, within the pocket and, and do what he can do at this point physically. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, if you're, if you're looking for offensive tackle conversation, uh, right now, there's a whole lot of educated guesses. Yeah, so I would agree with that. Um, here's the thing. We get a lot of stuff and... I feel like this is a, a staff that's good with communicating. They do not want to say names of guys who are not in the portal yet because then it looks like like tampering. Especially guys who are, are not going to be in the portal until after spring. I don't really know if any names are going to going to uh, going to emerge. If if you want to do some digging on it, be my guest. If you want to shoot me some names, let me know. I've looked into this a little bit and if there's somebody obvious, I must be missing it. Like we said, I mean there's there's clearly you absolutely need, need to get somebody. So final question of the night comes from Derek. Uh, before we get to Derek's question, we will thank our good friends at Madison Social, uh, Matt and his team, Matt Thompson and his team. As always, we remind you that a week from today uh, is the 17th of the month, and that is Reuben Day and a unique opportunity to pair. That is a Sunday, so you can go in there, get the world-renowned brunch that Madison Social has, and on January 17th, the world's largest mimosa return. So we're increasing the buy to 101 bottles of champagne. You can go on their Instagram page, see this uh, real beauty. It is a thing of significance. If you're in the Tallahassee area, whether it be January 17th 
whether it be tomorrow, January 11th. Keep our good friends, Matt Thompson and his team in mind, Madison Social, uh, Township, Centrale, all the other options that fall underneath the For the Table restaurant group banner. Great people, great supporters of Florida State Athletics. And uh, if you have a chance to support them, we ask that you please do. Okay, so let's end the night with Derek's question. Derek says, hey, uh, Norell placed a great emphasis on flipping the culture at Florida State. As a staff, how do you evaluate a player in the transfer portal in regards to the cultural fit? How much communication is there amongst coaching staffs regarding transfers, practice habits, academics, attitude, et cetera? Uh, yeah, man, this is very interesting. I, I spent about 45 minutes talking to a, a G5 position coach earlier in the week, uh, both getting a feel for kind of what the impact of the portal is on them. Uh, I could talk for that for 30 minutes, being that we've already gone long. Um, I won't. I will just say that kind of what I referenced earlier, coaches don't love the portal overall. Uh, as Bud said a second ago, when compared to being able to sign a kid, get them into your weight program, culture, everything else for the longer term. Uh, but if you have relationships uh, with coaches, you can get a much better feel as to what you're getting. I mean, there is a sure sense as to how does this kid handle college nightlife? How does this kid take his responsibility in the weight room? How does this kid deal with teammates at the college level, not just being the alpha dog in high school? You can get a better feel. And certainly those conversations go on at length as programs all across the board uh, try to address the portal and figure out how this is really going to work out for them. Uh, but if you do your due diligence and you have relationships, there is a little bit more of a sure thing when it comes uh, to taking these kids. Not a guarantee by any means, uh, but you do have a little bit better feel as to how the kid's going to address football at the college level. The other thing is like co- coaching is a fraternity. Obviously, like if you're, if you're t- trying to take a kid from your rival, they may not be super forthcoming with you because obviously you're, you're in direct competition with them. I imagine, honestly, that if if Mike Norvell calls up Will Muschamp and says, hey, what, what did you think about these guys at South Carolina? They're good dudes. They're good players. They're guys you, you want to take with you if you could to your next stop now that you know, you've been fired, obviously. I think Muschamp's going to tell them the truth. Most of these coaches do genuinely care about their guys, and they especially care about them if their guys are good people, if if they're you know good Good practice guys. They work hard. They show up on time to meetings. They're, they're not disrespectful. I don't think it's quite as hard to find information on some of this stuff as as you guys might think. Assuming that the player is not coming from uh, a, a rival. Now, where it is hard is to find information about a guy before he jumps in the portal because then you're not really supposed to be uh, digging around quite as much, or at least not officially, right? As I discussed, you're not supposed to be tampering and, and all that stuff. Uh, which obviously nobody does because everybody waits two, three weeks once they jump in the portal to to commit, right? And nobody's committing the day they jump in the portal, which is kind of strange. I don't think it's that hard to find the information for the most part. And that's a good thing because the portal is 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 here to stay. So um, yeah, that's that's basically what they have to do. If you think about it, I'm, I'm trying to think back now to the guys Florida State signed last year through the portal. They, were, were any of them problems? I don't think so, right? I mean, Love Taylor, Deontay Williams, Miko Dotson, Jordan Wilson, Jason Corbin, Jared Jackson, Jerry and Jones, Fabian Lovick. I think all those dudes were, for the most part, fine. Did any, any of them get suspended? Mm, did 
did Lovett miss a half or was that? He, yeah, he might've, uh, you know, I don't want to, I think so. Uh, I'm not positive of that. So I don't want to besmirch a kid, but I, I think I remember him missing a half of the game for something other than a, uh, uh, you know, targeting or something like that. But I mean, even so he, he was the most talented transfer you took. So you're probably going to, going to tolerate some and, your linebackers coach, Chris Marr, was on that Mississippi State staff regardless. So he, he, he should know the most about their character. Uh, you know, Jarrett Jackson was one that was interesting. They, they took a chance on him. We'll see, we'll see how that goes. We, we had heard questions about, about him coming in. But other than that, I feel like they did a decent job evaluating character. Now, some of these guys just flat out can't play. Like Deontay Williams can't play. But they had an extra one-year scholarship. There was the only downside to taking Deontay Williams that you didn't take somebody else. So, like, he was a miss, but he was also a legacy and, as far as I know, didn't get in trouble. So, that's that's positive. It's a whole new world, Ben. I mean, everybody's trying to figure out what the ultimate impact is, and this is going to be around uh, for a while, and it's certainly going to have uh, ripple effects that, you know, maybe even still after being around for three or four years now that we haven't fully wrapped our arms around. But uh, unless you've got something else, bud, that'll – bring about an end to tonight's NOLCast. Uh, really happy to be able to jump on, uh, record kind of outside of our normal slot so that you guys have this first thing uh, returning on your work week. And uh, long main Florida State success on the recruiting trail and the transfer portal continue. Like you said, four-star prospect uh, committed out of Arkansas today. We will address that uh, at the wide receiver position. We will address that in a future pod uh, but thank you for your continued listenership. If you have the opportunity to give us a review on iTunes, uh, it is silly how impactful that is. Uh, but know that it is greatly appreciated from Bud and I. And uh, we'll be back here in the near future to do another episode of the Nolcast. All right, guys. Take care. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith. Music by Judson Wright and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Noles. Thank you.